When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Emery Sudu, a.k.a. The Bros Encephalon, and you're listening to Inside the Boards. I'm Elizabeth Thiemann. Here are your questions for today. A 35-year-old man with no significant past medical history presents to the emergency department with shaking chills, chest pain with respirations, and shortness of breath, as well as a cough productive of yellow-green phlegm for the past two days. The patient currently has a temperature of 102.1 degrees Fahrenheit. Physical examination reveals a man in mild respiratory distress. Auscultation of the chest is significant for bilateral rails. Chest x-ray reveals consolidation of the right middle lobe and lower left lobe. Gram stain of sputum reveals gram-positive lancet-shaped diplococci. Which of the following is a characteristic of the most likely causative pathogen? A. Alpha-hemolysis. B. Catalase positivity. C. M. Proteins in the cell wall. Or D. Optican sensitivity. And the correct answer is A. Alpha-hemolysis. So what is the causative organism in this question? We have an adult patient, 35-year-old, no known exposure to any tuberculosis or any other bizarre pathogens, and no immune, no deficiencies, no increased susceptibility to anything in particular. So this question is essentially presenting us a patient with a productive pneumonia who is an adult. What is the most likely causative pathogen in an adult patient with pneumonia? Streptococcus pneumoniae. We can confirm our suspicions with the gram stain, which reveals gram-positive lancet-shaped diplococci. Remembering that diplococci, just like all of the streptococcus, are in some form of chain, are in a strip form, two cocci right next to each other. For other alpha-hemolytic streptococci, we should think of group D strep, enterococci, and non-enterococci. For enterococci, remember that they're always found in the GI tract and that hospitalized patients are especially susceptible to infections with this group of bacteria. They're actually the second most common cause of hospital-acquired infections. And remember, VRE is vancomycin-resistant enterococci and is creating an increasingly big problem for many hospitals around the country. So we can also remember that viridins group streptococci are also alpha-hemolytic and can cause endocarditis and dental infections. That's the good association for the viridins group streptococci. Beta-hemolysis is seen in the streptococcus pyogenes, the group B strep. Catalase positivity, answer choice B, is incorrect because streptococci do not create catalase. Staphylococcus do. That's actually actually one of the ways that we can tell them apart. Staphylococcus aureus is a rare but very severe cause of community-acquired bacterial pneumonia and usually occurs following a viral infection that leaves the host susceptible to a bacteria to come in and colonize the lung mucosa. It is more rare, so it's not the correct answer as well as it doesn't fit with a gram stain, obviously. The important thing to remember about Staphylococcus aureus-associated pneumonia is that it is a very rapid destruction of the lung parenchyma. It results in these large cavities, these holes throughout the lung, lead to effusions and empyema, which is the collection of pus in the pleural space. That would be the picture we would see clinically in a Staphylococcus aureus pneumonia. M-proteins in the cell wall, choice C, 
M proteins are one of the Lansfield antigens. Any of the Streptococcus associated antigens that are lettered like M, A, B, C. M is one of the most important ones to remember. It's associated with Streptococcus pyogenes and Streptococcus pyogenes is the one responsible for rheumatic fever. And the way that this works is that the M antigen, which is part of the virulence factor created by Streptococcus pyogenes, has antibodies created against it when a patient has a an acute strep infection, like a strep pharyngitis. A few weeks later, as IgM and IgG build up, those antibodies may recognize a very similar looking antigen on certain cells in our own body, like cardiac tissue. This leads to the clinical picture that we see in rheumatic fever when those IgG and IgM antibodies against the M proteins attack our own host cells, our own cells. Now that causes rheumatic fever, but it does take a few weeks for that to happen. Again, these are only associated with, M protein is associated with Streptococcus pyogenes specifically, and Streptococcus pneumoniae does not have any Lansfield antigens. Optican resistance, choice D, is incorrect because Streptococcus pneumoniae can actually be differentiated from another alpha hemolytic strep, strep viridens, because strep viridens is resistant to optican, while strep pneumo is sensitive to it. Remember about strep viridens, it's the one that we find in dental cavities and an important cause of endocarditis, especially following dental procedures. So just to give you a few more tips about pneumonia, while the most common cause of pneumonia in adults is Streptococcus pneumoniae. RSV is actually the number one cause of pneumonia in young children, especially infants less than six months of age. The most important factor that the Streptococcus pneumoniae has in order to create pneumonia is the capsular polysaccharide antigens. It's these same polysaccharide antigens that are used to create the pneumococcal vaccine. actually has 25 of the antigens in it. You've also heard this called the pneumovax. But the important thing to know about the pneumococcal vaccine is that it's only given to people for whom pneumococcal pneumonia would be exceptionally deadly, such as immunocompromised patients or elderly patients. For our second question, a seven-year-old girl is brought to the urgent care clinic by her mother after she developed a rash on her shoulders, neck, and upper chest in the past 24 hours. The rash followed a fever and a severe sore throat for two days duration. The mother states that other children in the patient's class have had similar symptoms. Physical examination of the patient shows a flushed and ill-appearing child with erythematous macules on her shoulders and chest. Physical examination is also notable for a white tongue with erythematous papillae and tonsillar inflammation. Which of the following is a characteristic of the most likely agent causing this patient's symptoms? And the answer choices are A. Coagulase production B. Resistance to optican C. Sensitivity to bacitracin D. Sensitivity to novobiosin Or E. Urease production The correct answer is C, sensitivity to bacitracin. And what is the most likely causative agent in this question? Well, we're given the picture of a child who had a very severe sore throat and a fever for several days that she probably picked up from one of her classmates. And this was followed by a secondary illness with a rash that spread from her head downward and also this kind of bizarre appearance of the tongue, a white tongue with erythematous papillae as well as tonsillar inflammation. So this patient has the features of scarlet fever. 
So scarlet fever is associated with a blanching sandpaper-like body rash, sometimes described with that buzzword of sandpaper-like in the strawberry tongue, which is described in the clinical vignette. And this is seen in the setting of a group A streptococcal pharyngitis following that pharyngitis. Knowing that group A strep, strep pyogenes, is the most likely causative organism, we can go to our answer choices. We know that sensitivity to bacitracin is the differentiating factor for Streptococcus pyogenes versus Streptococcus agalactae in other group B Streptococcus. Remember that Strep pyogenes is a gram-positive beta-hemolytic catalase-positive bacteria. Answer choice A, coagulase production. Which bacteria makes coagulase? Usually Staph aureus or Yersinia pestis. If the vignette wanted to describe a patient with Staphylococcus aureus as the causative agent, we might have seen a patient who had food poisoning two to six hours after ingestion of a food that had been sitting out in the sun to spoil and then reheated. The enterotoxin created by Staphylococcus aureus is heat-stable. Even though the food was recooked, the patient would still have gotten sick. Of course, we could have also been presented with a patient with impetigo or cellulitis, the most common causative agents of which are staph and strep. And we remember that Yersinia pestis is also the plague. This patient obviously does not have a clinical presentation consistent with the plague. Choice B, resistance to optokin. Among the catalase-negative gram-positive alpha-hemolytic bugs, strep pneumoniae may be distinguished from beard and streptococci by optokin sensitivity. We already talked about that. Strep pneumoniae is Sensitive to optican, viridens is resistant. Choice D, sensitivity to novobiosin. Again, among catalase-positive and gram-positive bugs, Staphylococcus epidermidis can be distinguished from Staphylococcus saprophyticus by novobiosin sensitivity. We talked about this in the Staphylococcus episode. Staphylococcus epidermidis is the one that's especially good at creating biofilms. We see infections with Staphylococcus epidermidis on implantable devices, patients who have artificial joints, It's a part of the normal skin flora. Normally, it's not introduced into the body, but because it's so good at creating these biofilms, anybody who has something artificially implanted into them is susceptible to a staph epidermidis infection. Staphylococcus saprophyticus, then, was one of the most common causes of urinary tract infections in women. Those, again, can be differentiated by the novobias resistance, and Staphylococcus epidermidis is sensitive to novobiasin. Choice E, urease production. Urease production is typically a characteristic of the GI and urinary tract pathogens like Proteus, urea plasma, nocardia, Klebsiella, and Brucella. The main things to remember about Streptococcus pyogenes is that it has multiple different manifestations for infections. First of all, we have the release of various toxins, which can cause illness. In the presentation of scarlet fever, as in the vignette, it's pyrogenic exotoxin and erythrogenic exotoxin that cause the rash and fever associated with scarlet fever. Remember, this is usually following a pharyngeal strep infection. It can also cause streptococcal toxic shock syndrome, as well as necrotizing fasciitis, other skin infections, and of course, streptococcal pharyngitis. The delayed antibody-mediated disease associated with streptococcus pyogenes includes rheumatic fever, 
This does not usually present until several weeks because it does take buildup of IgG and IgM, again directed towards the M protein, which is part of the virulence factors of Streptococcus pyogenes. And the clinical presentation of rheumatic fever may include choreiform movements, heart damage, a rash, erythema marginatum, and joint swelling and arthritis, as well as fever. Finally, acute post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis is another immune-mediated condition associated with streptococcus pyogenes infections. Acute post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis is something that would usually occur about a week after infection with either of either the pharynx or the skin by nephritogenic strains of beta-hemolytic group A. So a patient that had this condition would probably show up in your office with a puffy enlarged face caused by the retention of fluid from damaged kidneys dark urine output, uh, hypervolemia, secondary to fluid retention, and perhaps hypertension, also secondary to kidney failure. And of course, we would have labs consistent with a patient in acute kidney failure. So that's the important things to know about streptococcus in a nutshell. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to that mini episode in our Study Smarter series. Don't forget, there is still time to get the Study Smarter Bundle for the USMLE Step 1 and Comlex Level 1. That's two months of Osmosis Prime, two months of Physio's High Yield Physiology Learning Resource, and MedQuest's Step 1 Cramathon with Conrad Fisher on May 7th. In addition, you'll get two weeks of MedQuest's Pharmacology QBank to enhance the pharmacology aspects of your Step 1 prep, and as well, access to the group tutoring webinars we're going to be doing in May, and beta access to our audio cue bank, which we are continuing to put together now, basically just more question dissections for your learning pleasure. You've got until April 16th to sign up, and for podcast listeners only, at checkout, use the discount code PODCAST to get $20 off. Check out InsideTheBoards.com for more details. And as always, thanks for listening.